in the time, effort, and energy that goes into every single week, the commitment that is the worship and AV team, they are here every week, twice a week, for hours and hours and hours, and, and they really pour blood, sweat, and tears into the ministry so that we can come in and worship. Can we show our appreciation to our AV team? Every week. And our worship team and, and uh, such a great, great group of folks. And thank you uh, personally. I just want to tell you, I really appreciate you. And uh, what an honor it is to serve shoulder to shoulder with servants like you all. So thank you. All right, so this morning, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. word. Actually, let's hold them up. Let's hold up our Bibles, our devices, cellular devices, uh, however you get your scripture. And some of you are like, I've got the whole gospel of Matthew memorized. So there you go. You just... Your head's right there. So, uh, Holy Spirit, we're going to ask that you open our eyes. And, and just as Chris prayed, that we would have ears to hear. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see this morning the things that you're going to reveal to us. Open our hearts and, and, and move. Holy Spirit, breathe life into us. Bring these scriptures to life. And uh, may, this, may this leave us so incredibly changed and more like you, Jesus, to the glory of you, our Father in heaven. All God's people say, amen. All right, very interesting. We're, we're hitting a transition point in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel. And, and really, you can label from chapter 11 all the way through the end of the book, rejection. Rejection. I mean, nobody likes being rejected, but the warm welcome and the reception that we have seen for Jesus and his disciples, well, that very quickly, that is going to, to change. And, and in fact, there's going to be more and more antagonism all the way up until the cross itself. Well, we saw last week, though, before we get into chapter 11, Jesus had called his disciples to himself. He had empowered them, he'd equipped them, he taught them, and then he sent them out into the harvest, that they were to go out and track down the lost sheep of the people of Israel. And so filled with the Holy Spirit and, and filled with his presence and power, they, they went out and, and they carried out the ministry of Jesus to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and to perform works of the kingdom. It was kind of like a training lab because not many years later, they were going to be the ones carrying the gospel to the world uh, post-Pentecost and resurrection. Well, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 opens with this. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, I want you to underline instructing and disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. We've seen that multiple times through the gospel, that that was Jesus's ministry, that he would teach, preach, and heal. But the two words that really jump out at me are the words instructing and disciples. Uh, the Greek word for instructing is diatasso, and what it means essentially is to give detailed instructions as to what must be done. The word disciples is the Greek word methetes, and it essentially means a person who learns. And so we put these two together. Jesus is the instructor. We are the learners. Then once we are instructed and empowered in the Holy Spirit, we're sent out to do the works of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is the instructor. We are the learners. Then once we're instructed and empowered, we are sent out to do the works of Jesus. Family, that's what discipleship is. We are disciples. We are taught. We learn. We are empowered, and we go do the works that we're called to do. Too many Christians are sitting on the sidelines just getting instructed, but never actually getting to 
work. And so Jesus, without his disciples, now goes about his Galilean ministry. And and not sure when this happens, but somewhere along the way, John the Baptist, who at this point in time is imprisoned, which isn't necessarily news because we read about that in chapter 4, but at this point, John is going into a season of great doubt. And and really what this speaks to me, and I, I hope you see this, is that as we get into this chapter, even great men doubt. Okay? Even great women doubt. Like, even great people of the faith go through seasons of great doubt. And, and it's hard for me sometimes to see that. I, I have a tendency to put people up on a pedestal and to think of them probably as almost superhuman. And I think to myself, there's no way that person struggles with that. There's no way that that couple struggles with that. You know what I'm talking about? The couple that are just always like strutting and the hair's always blowing in the wind and everybody's happy and all the kids are happy. And, and you're looking at it, you're like, there's no way. Well, I'm ever going to compare to that. And, and then uh, well, we look behind the Facebook, right? Like what's the narrative behind the Facebook? Well, when you look at John the Baptist, I can't think of a greater man of faith uh, in the scriptures, but he struggled uh, with incredible doubt, as we see in verses 2 through 3, when John, who was in prison, I want you to underline that in your Bible, that tells you where John is. It doesn't tell us why or when, but it tells us where he is. He heard about the deeds of the Messiah, and so Matthew, the narrator, tells us right up front, Jesus is the Messiah. He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? You can, you can just read the doubt in there. Are you the one, or are we expecting somebody else? Well, as we look at this, John is in prison, and we ask the question, like, when did he get imprisoned and why? Well, all we got to do is turn over in our Bibles. Uh, Matthew chapter 14 gives us the backstory of how John the Baptist ended up in prison, or in a dungeon, really. He had this this tendency to proclaim the words that people just didn't want to hear, you know? So chapter 14, verse 3, Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. And so Herod wanted to kill John, we were told, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. That becomes very, very important later in our study this morning. John, a prophet. Well, again, John the Baptist had this peculiar practice of proclaiming things that people just didn't want to hear. And and if you all can remember back all the way to chapter 3, John's message was simple. Repent, right? Which is, of course, our favorite word, right? Like, everybody loves to have people walk up to him and go, hey, you need to repent. And I'm like, who are you? Who are you to tell me I need to <laughs> We just don't like being told no or that we're wrong. Anyway, my friend was telling me this week, he was driving along, and he saw a guy on the side of the road with a sign that said, repent, and uh, he was yelling at cars as they drive by. And I'm like, oh, man, so effective for the kingdom. Thank you for doing that. And uh, we, we think to ourselves, wow, what a fool, you know? But really, kind of, that was John's method, Right? Like, he was the street preacher proclaiming in the Judean wilderness, repent, turn from your sins, turn back to God because Jesus is coming. Well, here's what happens. When we don't like a messenger, we tend to kill who? The messenger. Even if the message and messenger are from God. 
Yeah, if we don't like a message, we tend to kill the messenger, even if the message and the messenger is being sent from God. William Barclay gives us the backstory. This is so fascinating to me, the historical context here. Herod Antipas. So this is the son of Herod the Great, and if you all remember, Herod the Great is the one who ordered the death of innocents. And I believe Matthew chapter 2, in an attempt to kill baby Jesus— All children two and under. Well, this is his son, and the apple really did not fall far from the tree. Herod Antipas of Galilee had paid a visit to his brother in Rome. This guy's a crummy brother. Listen to this. During that visit, he seduced his brother's wife. He came home again and dismissed his own wife. So he kicks his wife out, married the sister-in-law, whom he had lured away from her husband. Publicly and sternly, John rebuked Herod. It was never safe to rebuke an eastern despot. Well, it's still not. I mean, I'm just like imagining somebody in Russia standing up and speaking out against Putin. How well is that going to go for them? Probably not really well. Anyway, Herod took his revenge, and John was thrown into the dungeons at the fortress of Machaerus down in the mountains near the Dead Sea. And so at this moment, John is in a dungeon. Okay, so just think like a dark and dirty and like damp dungeon like subsiding on like crusty bread, moldy bread, and dirty water. And he's looking around and he's like, this is not at all what I expected. Now, I don't know if you've ever had like expectations that somehow don't line up with experiences and, and it creates a real discontinuity there because you're going, I, I expected things to be this way, but this is my experience, and they don't really go together. You see, John had an expectation of Messiah, and it was a biblical expectation that Messiah was going to come in and overthrow Rome, and, and that the theocratic rule of God would be, be ushered in, that Jesus was going to bring not only the spiritual kingdom, but the kingdom kingdom to Israel. And John's in prison. And he's sitting there going like, when are the prison doors going to open? Dr. Constable writes this, John is expecting the door of his prison to swing wide and that he'll be able to walk out a free man into the kingdom established by Jesus. John had apocalyptic expectations. But here's what's crazy. John's expectations were right. The timing was off. And family, we have biblical expectations, but often we come to discover that our timing is off. Like, there will be a day where there is no more sickness and death. Hallelujah. Anybody praising that? No more cancer. No no more, like, issues with the back or spine. Like, no more pain. No more sorrow. No more death. That's going to be a wonderful day, but that day is not today. There will be a day when the lion will lie down with the lamb. I mean, that's going to be a trip because the lion normally eats the lamb, but the lamb and they're going to be like hanging out and like, it's just going to be amazing. But that's not today. There will be a time where there will be no war, that literally the swords will be beaten into plowshares. There will be a time when there are no more shootings, no more of all these, right? There will be a time. But then there's still evil in this world. And and I got to tell you, students, here's the thing that has been on my heart this whole week. You all are carrying the burden of the evil that that we as adults are responsible for. We are carrying the—you guys are carrying our responsibility. See, there was a major spiritual breakdown 
and, and we let our generation down, and we drop the spiritual ball, and you all have inherited the spiritual sickness because we fell asleep as a church. We had the responsibility of being godly men and women, and we got so focused on our careers, we got so focused on ourselves that we forgot about the coming generation and to hand the gospel off, and so you all are growing up in a more spiritually decaying world than should be. Uh, and, and for that, we, we owe you uh, an apology, and we need to do a better job of protecting you. Come on, right? Come on, adults. Get off of Facebook and quit talking about gun rights. Let's talk, start talking about Jesus. Let's take Jesus to the people. Because what that young man needed, that young man who had the, like, the crazy troubled everything in his whole world, what he needed was light, okay? He needed light and people to break into the darkness that was his life. And I recognize that this world is going to hell. And yes, there is going to be more decay, and it is going to break down, but we're still called to be salt and light. But there's going to be a day where there's no more evil. And I look forward to that day. How about y'all? I look forward to the day when there is no more darkness. There is only light. When Jesus ushers in his kingdom, but that day, unfortunately, is not today. Unless it is today, which would be radical, because then the trumpets would ring, and we'd be like, we were just talking about it. Okay, so Jesus is going to usher in his kingdom, which is why we pray your kingdom come for Matthew 6. But Jesus first came to overthrow the spiritual kingdom of darkness and evil and Satan and death. That had Jesus ushered in his literal kingdom at that moment, it would potentially have left his people still in their sins. But Jesus is the Messiah. You see, Jesus' deeds I, uh, prove his identity. Jesus' deeds prove his identity. Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 through 5, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. We're like, what? Like, this is all the stuff we have studied in Matthew's gospel. Like, we have witnessed it. We have witnessed the healings of Jesus. We have witnessed his teaching. We have heard it. We've heard the proclamations, and we've seen God work through Christ as Jesus brings about, Lord, his kingdom. Listen to this. Every scripture we've studied in Matthew's gospel confirms Jesus is the one. Every scripture that we study in the New Testament confirms that Jesus is the one. Every scripture that we study of the Old Testament confirms that Jesus is the one. That when we read in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 6, listen to this. Then, when, then, will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped? This is the ministry of Christ. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. We have literally witnessed all of that in Matthew's gospel. That when we read in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. That is Jesus' baptism. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. How many of y'all been released from the prison of darkness and death, right? Through Christ. We have been released. That is the ministry of Jesus. And I love this. I love finding the Jesus gems of the Old Testament. How about y'all? 
When you're studying a, a passage out of the Old Testament, you're like, that's Jesus right there. We should get excited. We should bust out our highlighters. We should start underlining it and circling. This is Jesus. Jesus gems. I love it. Well, here it is. Jesus fulfilled the ministry of Messiah because you know what? Jesus is the Messiah. And so John told, uh, Jesus told John's disciples, hey, go tell John, it's me. It really is me, John. To which Jesus then adds a brand new beatitude. That we looked at the beatitudes all the way back in Matthew 6, but Jesus adds here a new beatitude. Listen to this. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Underline that word stumble. It's fascinating. Uh, that word uh, translated as stumble is the Greek word skandizomai. Uh, it's where we get, or scandalizo, I'm sorry. It's where we get the English word scandalize, scandalous. It would have been a scandalous thing for Jesus to go around pretending to be the Messiah if he wasn't the Messiah. And that's exactly what he was being accused of. And even John is struggling. It sounded scandalous. He's claiming to be the what? But here's what's crazy. The true, like the true scandal of it all is that Jesus is the Messiah and his very people rejected him. That is a scandalous thing. And as I, as I look at this, what Jesus is saying is, blessed is the person who doesn't believe the false teachings about him. You are blessed, students, when you do not believe the false teachings about Jesus. Church, you are blessed when you do not believe the false teachings about Jesus. Because today, there are some who would claim that Jesus, oh yeah, Jesus, I've heard of him, he's a good teacher. Yeah, I, I talk about him a lot when I'm mad. Oh yeah, I know Jesus. <laughs> Uh, uh, Jesus, oh, he's just like one of those other religious figures, like, like Muhammad or, or Buddha or Swami, right? Like he's just another religious. Well, some are like, no, he was a liar. Or others are like, he was a loony with like a God complex, right? Well, here's the thing. It was not scandalous for Jesus to claim to be the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And so here's what I want to say about scandalous and, and about our culture. You want to know what is scandalous in our culture today? To truly worship. That is scandalous. To truly love Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To truly live for Christ. Even though people tell you, hey, you can talk about God, but can you kind of keep this whole Jesus thing quiet? No, no, no. I am not going to stop talking about Jesus. I'm not going to stop proclaiming Jesus. I'm not going to stop worshiping Jesus. I stand on his gospel. It is the power of salvation unto man. I will proclaim it from the rooftops. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He gave his life. He was buried, and he is risen. Let's proclaim his name, church. Amen? Amen? Let's be a little bit more scandalous. You know? We walk around, I don't want to offend nobody. Jesus. We like whisper him. Proclaim him. We, let's cause a little bit more scandal, you know what I mean? Being Jesus' representatives out there every day. Anyway, so Jesus turns to the crowd, 11 verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about about John. He's like, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? And it's it's fascinating because Jesus is talking to a crowd of people who had gone out to the Judean wilderness to listen to John the Baptist. Some had even responded to the message. Some had even been baptized. Jesus is like, what did you go out there to see? And he starts talking about different types of people. And the first he says, did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? 
Now, around the Jordan River, there are reeds that are swayed by the wind. And when Jesus references that, he's referencing the type of person who would easily be swayed by public opinion. That ain't John the Baptist. He was not easily swayed by public opinion. I love uh, J. Vernon McGee. Listen to what he writes. By the way, I wish I could do J. Vernon's accent. Anybody all listen to J. Vernon McGee, Bible Best, all that? So good. Be richly blessed, my dearly beloved. I, I just can't do it. Anyway, John was not a reed shaken by the wind. He was a wind shaking the reeds. In our day, the pulpit has become very weak because it is, the sub, it is in subjection to somebody sitting out there in the pew or the message is tailored to sur, uh, suit a certain group in the church. And I really add to that. Uh, messages are being tailored to accommodate culture. That's actually what's happening. To accommodate a sick, dying culture. And we shape the messages to the point where it has, it has no true spiritual teeth to it. Anyway, he goes on to say, Too often the pulpit is a reed that is shaken in the wind. Thank God for John the Baptist. And I just want to say thank God for sound biblical teaching. That here at Firewheel, no matter what room you're in, no matter what Bible study you go to, whether it's men's or women's, or it's a 930 Bible study, or you're in student ministry, or in children's ministry, you are getting sound biblical teaching. And you're not getting teaching that is just this reed blowing around in the wind. You are getting solid teaching teaching. Build your life on the rock type teaching. Amen? Is that? Yeah. I remember we talked about this. <laughs> We're going to interact. So Matthew eleven eight. if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. And, and we all can laugh at that because we know John was not wearing Armani. I mean, unless it was like an Armani camel skin thing with like a leather belt around his waist. No, John did not live in a palace. He lived out in the wilderness, subsiding on locusts and wild honey. He wore a camel skin outfit, which sounds kind of rough and uncomfortable, and a belt around his waist. Why did you go out to the wilderness? Why? Why did you go get baptized? Why did you go listen to his preaching? Jesus in verse 9 says this, Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. I just want to say this. Sometimes people have like a spiritual awakening, and, and they have like this fervency of faith, and all of a sudden they're alive, and they're like, yeah, let's get baptized. This is awesome. Like in a couple of months later, they just wander away, and that was the crowd. They were all stoked and passionate about John the Baptist, and they went out there, and then all of a sudden they were all stoked about Jesus, and then all of a sudden they just kind of like drifted away. And John's like, look, he's more than a prophet. He's prophetic. Listen to this. Uh, this is the one whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He's quoting Matthew, or Malachi 3. It's the ministry of Elijah. Jesus is like, John a great prophet, and more than a prophet. See, a prophet was looking forward. Uh, John was the proclaimer. He's here. He's here. I've come to prepare the way. Like in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus declares, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, church, we need to be baptized in Holy Spirit and fire. He's more than a prophet. Verse 11, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wow, was he a great man? 
Do you believe John the Baptist was a great man? Jesus said so. And what's interesting is we often read through the life of John the Baptist so quickly. You know, we just kind of move through his life and we move on with the scriptures. But gosh, if we would just stop and spend time with John. He goes on to say, Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, which is a crazy statement. Jesus is saying that the least person in the kingdom today, that is, you who are clothed with Christ, you who have Jesus' righteousness, you are actually, you have more than John the Baptist did at the heyday of his ministry. You are greater in the kingdom than John the Baptist. And you're like, little old me? Little old Holy Spirit-filled Bible teaching me is greater than John the Baptist? That doesn't make any sense. And what Jesus is saying, he's like, John proclaimed, you received. Significant. To you who are a believer, you are a receiver. And John was a proclaimer who, of course, today has received. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, this is a very unique statement. The kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and the violent have taken it by raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. What Jesus is doing now is he's starting to call out the religious leaders. He's like, you're trying to overthrow the kingdom of God. By denying Jesus, by turning away from Jesus, by, by literally trying to take Jesus' ministry and overturn it, they were trying to bring about their own kingdom. And they were trying to bring it about by force. And ultimately, the rebels would have Jesus put to death. But here's the thing. If they were just willing to accept it. And this comes down to our own hearts. If we're just willing to accept Matthew 11, verses 14 through 15. And if you're willing to accept it, he, being John the Baptist, is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. It's fascinating that we can have ears but can't hear. And what I mean by that is like spiritual ears. Like there's times where you'll be sharing with somebody or I'll be sharing with somebody and, and I could just see it on their face. They're not hearing it. And what Jesus is saying, and, and this is so crazy, is that had the people of Israel humbled themselves, and this is like a big what if, and what ifs can only go so far because what is is what is, but had the people of Israel received Jesus as their Messiah, that at that moment Jesus would have ushered in his kingdom. Had they accepted. And that got me thinking, if you're willing to accept it, if you're willing to accept that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that he really died on the cross for your sins, and that he was buried and has risen, if you truly place your faith in Jesus, you will be saved. And what has been so fascinating is over the last few weeks, we have been watching as people are being saved in and through the preaching of the Scripture, in and through the power of the Holy Spirit, in and through the gospel, right? That's amazing. Yeah, we can clap about that. Like, people are willing to accept it, and they're willing to proclaim it, and, and God is saving lives. Like, we're watching literally people rise from the dead. It's unbelievable. More, Lord. I, I think of Jesus now lamenting. There's a, a passage of Scripture that just, it, it's so heavy. Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus 
lamenting the people of Israel. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. For how long has the Lord desired to gather you into his kingdom, to bring you into his presence, but you have been unwilling. Matthew eleven sixteen. 16. To what then can I compare this generation? Jesus essentially calls that generation a bunch of obnoxious children. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you, but you did not dance, and we sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Jesus is essentially telling the generation that he's preaching to, that, that group that was gathered, he's like, y'all a bunch of kids. I'm bringing the kingdom, and you still play games. And they're like, Jesus, you don't play by our rules. We play a song, but you don't sing. You don't dance. We say something mournful, but you don't mourn. Jesus, you don't play by our rules. And it's so fascinating that no matter who was the one that was speaking, whether it was John the Baptist or Jesus, they would reject. Look at verses 18 through 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. He was an ascetic. He lived out in the wilderness. He abstained from every convenience, every luxury. And they were like, he's demonic. Then about Jesus, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard. I really don't like that. I don't like anybody talking trash about my Jesus. But that's what they were saying about him. A drunk and a glutton. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Thank God he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And, and as I look at this, some people just can't be pleased. Some people just can't be pleased. They'll always find an excuse. You know, our generation is like that. Though the Gospels cl clearly proclaim there are churches everywhere. There's like 32,000 churches in Texas. It's a lot of churches, right? And people still are like, I'm not going to go. I I'm just not into that. But you know what? We play that same game in the church. Now listen to people, you know, that preacher is too boring. Oh, that preacher, he talks too long. Oh, oh that preacher's too loud. Oh, he's too liberal. He's too trendy. What are you doing? You know, how old is he wearing skinny jeans? I know I get accused of being too trendy all the time. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, that church is too big, or that church is too small. <laughs> And, and all that's happening is my porridge is too cold. My porridge is too hot. I played a song, but you don't dance. I played a dirge, but you don't mourn. You're not giving me what my itching ears want to hear. You don't make it all about me, so I'm going to reject it. And here's the thing. People will make their excuses all the way to hell. Some people just cannot be pleased. Not even God can please them. Pride and ego... Pride and ego, I believe, are the two biggest things that keep us out of the kingdom of God and from true intimacy with our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and in through the Holy Spirit. And so I want to give you a few take-homes. 
As we've looked at Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19, first, Jesus is the instructor. We are the learners. Then once we are instructed and empowered, we're sent to do the works of Jesus. Some of you, it's time to get to work. You've been instructed. You've been empowered. Now it's time to get to work. For others, it's time to be instructed. It's time to learn. Secondly, even great men, and I could add in there, women, doubt. Be encouraged. You're not failing because you doubt. You're just human. I like this word, repent. I just felt like throwing it in there because we don't like it. But that was essentially John's message. And by the way, that was Jesus' message too. We don't like being told that we are wrong, but here's the thing. Would you rather be right or holy? Yeah. Learn to trust God when your experiences don't match your expectations. Jesus really is the one. Blessed is the person who lives a scandalous life for Jesus. Let's be a little bit more scandalous for Jesus this week. Amen? Yeah. If you're willing to accept Jesus, your spiritual life will begin today, May 29th, 2022. It could begin right now. Quit making excuses. Quit playing games. Set aside the pride and the ego and start following Jesus. And I realize these are a little bit more intentional than my previous weeks. I've been spending time with John the Baptist. You can't spend time with John the Baptist without getting serious about faith. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. Family, let's stand together. And I'm going to pray over you. Father, I ask your abundant blessings, your abundant goodness, your abundant grace over your church today. If you have not given your life to Jesus, and at this very moment you desire to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand. Let me see your hand up there. You want to receive Jesus as your Savior today. Okay. All right. Always give an opportunity. If you want to recommit your life to Jesus, let's see it. Raise that hand up. Anybody? All right. Always give the opportunity. Amen. I see it. Now say, Lord, uh, ask your abundant blessings. Uh, fill, Lord, each one of us with you, Holy Spirit. Anoint us for the work. Anoint us for the ministry. That, Lord, we are being sent out into the mission. We're being sent out into the harvest. So, Lord, be glorified in our lives. That, Lord, we would live a life that is more sold out for you, Jesus. We ask this in the name of the greatest Savior, the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, family, we're going to go out singing. And I'm going to speak our benediction over us. And I'm going to ask that as we, as we go out, let's go out singing. All right? It's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again at our next study, Wednesday night, men's, women's, 930. We're going to meet again before next service. Amen.
But do not forget, family, you are loved. Now let's love the Lord, let's love each other, and let's go rock the streets with love as we go out singing. There's a place when your heart is under fire. Another way when your walls are closing in. When I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I'll never be alone. Was another in the fire standing next to me? Was another in the waters holding back the seas? Should I ever need reminding? There is a cross that bears the burden Where another died for me There is another in the Nobody. 